0: Well, good morning, Peachtree. It's so good to be with you this morning. Most of us watch this broadcast and this worship experience at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And if that's you, I just want you to know extra credit for you in heaven. It's Master Sunday. I know we're going head to head with the coverage of the master starting at 10 o'clock in the morning. So uh, set your DVR, catch up with the masters later, and let's gather around God's word. Let's celebrate by getting to dive into a really interesting passage this morning. I want to begin by telling you that one of the great privileges of what I get to do as a pastor is to perform weddings. And there's this little part of the wedding that we don't often talk about. It's the groom and the groomsman and the pastor being together in a holding tank usually like a little closet somewhere towards the front of a church where we're all kind of gathered together and waiting for the rest of the guests to file in so that we might be able to come in and to begin the wedding. And it's amazing how different and divergent it can be with regards to groom and groomsmen and the pastoral relationship as to what the conversation and the waiting is like for that particular moment of walking in to encounter the bride. Well, on this one particular occasion, the groomsmen were joking heavily and they decided to come over to me and one of the groomsmen, the best man, actually had a $50 bill in his hand and he said, Pastor, um, the groom and the groomsmen and I have a question to ask you and that's this, for an extra $50, will you slip that whole wives submit to their husband's passage into today's ceremony? Leaning into the joke of what he was saying, I said, well, it depends. Is it $50 in total or is it $50 per guy who's making this request? You could see that the numbers got a little big and his eyes grew a little bigger. And I turned to the groom and I said, listen, me reading this passage, I'll read any passage for the Bible. But you need to know a couple of things. One, it's going to make your wedding a little longer because I'm not going to read a passage like that without explaining it. And two, if you haven't run this by your bride in advance, you're going to be paying for what that is a lot longer and a lot more than $50. Today I want to share with you one of the most controversial and misunderstood passages in all of the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, and as I've alluded to, it's about instructions for Christian households where wives are called to submit to their husbands and how parents are not called to exasperate their children, and children are called to obey, and it's about working relationships, particularly slaves and masters in that day and age. We're walking through a series in Ephesians. You don't need a big title when you've got a moment like this. You just dive right into the text. I want to remind you that we're talking about two different things. We're talking about what does it mean to find peace And we're talking about what does it mean to keep the peace. Ephesians chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6 is in this section of what does it mean to keep the peace. And as I've already alluded to, what it tells us in this part of the passage, if you have your own Bible, um, is is that we're about to find some certain instructions. And you're going to have a couple of different potential reactions to this passage. It might be the kind of things where you're gonna read and hear this uh, kind of text and you're gonna scorn it, you're gonna mock it, you're gonna dismiss it. You're gonna say, this is one reason why I don't believe in any of this stuff. Or you might be the kind of person that's uh, gonna have a tendency to use the text, to manipulate the text, to try to engineer the text for you to have more power or authority or control. Or you might be the kind of person who reads a text like this and just chooses to ignore it, to toss it aside, and to say that it doesn't really matter to you. I hope that today, you have a very different reaction to this text because I think that this text is beautiful, it's insightful, and it's really important for your life and for mine. The heading in your Bible probably says something like this, instructions for Christian households. And I thought as a creative way to read this text today, instead of just me reciting it for you, gathered around a computer in our home, and my household decided to read this passage for you. So let's listen to the word of the Lord.
1: Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ,
0: He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband.
1: Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him.
0: What a remarkable passage and incredibly controversial. And for many of us, our first reaction to a passage like this is like it was with my children when I said, hey, let's read this passage together. There was a little bit of kind of skepticism of like, this is in the Bible. What, well, what does this mean? Well, one of the techniques I learned in seminary when you when you struggle with a passage, when you read a part of the Bible that you're not quite sure if you understand, or, or maybe you're not even having the right agreement with the passage, that there's this visceral reaction to it, make sure you look at what's happening right at the beginning of it and right at the end of it to make sure that you don't get lost in the middle. Because sometimes we can get so fixated on the specific words of a particular part of the passage that we isolate it and we forget the bigger picture. So let me share with you where this passage begins and where it ends. It doesn't begin with wives submit to your husbands. It begins in verse 21, which is the thesis, be subject or surrender or submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And at the end, and there is no favoritism with the Lord. In other words, what we have here at the end is that in a world of hierarchy and all of these different closed doors of opportunity, you need to know that God doesn't play favorites, that God is in it with all of us together. We're going to see that in a little bit. And that it begins with this mutuality of that we're all called to be in this together, to surrender, submit, and to be subject to one another out of a reverence for Christ. In other words, the passage about wives submitting to their husbands is from the overflow of a mutual surrender that we're all called to have to one another. Let me see if I can explain that. One of the phrases that you might not have noticed as we were reading this over and over again, over 11 times in this passage, there is a phrase of as to the Lord or in the Lord occurs 11 times in the passage that we just read. In other words, the big picture of what Paul is doing in this passage is he is recalibrating every single relationship, not in reference to one another, children and parents, working relationships, or a marriage relationship. It is relationships to God out of which then we understand how we are to relate to one another. Let me see if I can give you an illustration, and because it's Master's Weekend, I'll give you a golf analogy. I want to show you an incredible place that was located near where we used to live in Southern California before moving to Atlanta. This is the Pelican Hill Golf Resort and it's located on a pristine piece of property along Orange County. It is absolutely stunning and on most of the holes, depending on which golf course you're playing, most of the holes you have these sweeping views of the Pacific Ocean and the incredible coastline. You know, I was having a really hard time the first time I was playing this course. I was having a really hard time reading the greens. It kept looking like it was supposed to turn this way and the ball would go the other direction from what I thought. And one of the persons I was playing with noticed that I was struggling with trying to get the ball to go in the direction in terms of where I thought it was gonna go. And he said, well, let me let you in on a little secret. No matter where you are on this course, the ball always breaks Towards the ocean. It may look like it's going to break the other way because of some minor hill that you see on the green, but in reality, that's nothing compared to the overall slope of everything has to go towards the ocean. This is what we're talking about when we say that all of our relationships are as to the Lord or in the Lord. Obviously, missing a punt's not a big deal, but when we forget that everything bends towards the Lord, moves its way towards the Lord, we do a great harm to one another in our human relationships when we forget that. Eugene Peterson refers to this as nothing but disease. And let me share with you how he puts it in this quote. Without a cultivated fear out of reverence for Christ, we inevitably develop habits of irreverence that are liable to the pandemic of nothing but disease. A fetus is nothing but a sack of protoplasm. A horse is nothing but a power to pull a plow. A Rembrandt is nothing but dabs of paint on a canvas. A child is nothing but a nuisance. A woman is nothing but a pretty face. A meal is nothing but a puddle of vitamins and calories on a plate. A man is nothing but a meal ticket. Or in the settings of the household and workplace out of which all the mystery has long ago leaked out, the wife is nothing but the little woman or the husband is nothing but my man. The owner is nothing but the boss. The worker is nothing but the help. In other words, when we go through this life without understanding how we are calibrated to God, how everything breaks towards God, we reduce everything to something it was never intended to be. And we forget, we forget who we are in relationship to God. The last funeral I did when I was in Southern California was because of a tragedy that took place at this intersection. A little boy by the name of Brock McCann was riding his bicycle just a few blocks home from where he lived and from the elementary school that was around the corner. And unfortunately, a trash truck that was running behind in its route didn't see him on his bicycle, and little Brock died as a result of that terrible tragedy. At the funeral, I couldn't believe it, but his mother wanted to stand up and to share. In knowing the context of what life was like in that part of Orange County, she stood up before all of those parents, and after words of gratitude and expression, she said this. She said, I want you to know that your children are not an accessory to your perfect little life in Orange County. You could just feel the weight in the room. She went on to say, your children are a gift from God. And unless you see your children as a gift from God, you will never treat them right. Oh, how we need to make sure that our lives are calibrated as to the Lord, as a reverence for Christ. And that is the overarching umbrella in understanding of what's going on in this passage. So let's get to some of the specifics in it. How can we reconcile? I mean, we hear a phrase like, wives submit to your husbands. And there's just, it's almost like fingernails on the chalkboard of kind of the egalitarian nature of our society today. I love how Tony Campolo describes it. He says it's like this. Whenever I do a marriage seminar at a church, there's always some guy who stands up and asks, who's supposed to be the head of the house? That's the real question. Who's supposed to run things in the home? I always feel like saying, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't ask such a stupid question. A Christian never asks who's going to be the master. The Christian always asks who's going to be the servant. If you're a Christian, you don't ask who's gonna be number one, you ask who's gonna be last. Who will have the power? If you're a Christian, you don't ask who's gonna be number one, who's gonna be the last. You will have the power. I had to say to such a man, if you really loved your wife, you wouldn't want to dominate her with your power. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to give up his power and take upon himself the form of a slave, and if a man loves his wife, he should be ready to give up his own power to become her servant. Conversely, the wife is instructed to be submissive to her husband. But what wife would have difficulty becoming submissive to a man that defined himself as her slave? The ideal marriage is one in which the husband says to his wife, honey, my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations mean nothing to me. If I can help you to become all that you can be, I'll sacrifice everything for that. And in return, she says, oh, no, I'm ready to sacrifice my hopes, my aspirations to enable you to become all that you can be. And he says, oh, no. And she says, oh, no. And they have their first fight. It's the only argument that Christians are supposed to have. For the Bible tells us to outdo one another in love. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul gives some examples of wives needing to be submissive to their husbands, and husbands needing to empty themselves out in self-sacrificial love. I love it a couple of years ago when Andy Stanley described it this way, he put um, up on Twitter, he talked about his, uh, his 30th anniversary to his beloved bride. And then someone said that not only a happy anniversary and hope that you know, as he's beginning his journey of marriage, Andy Stanley comes back with a uh, a great line here. He says, remember that Christian marriage is a submission competition, a race to the back of the line. This is how we are to understand ourselves in relationship to almighty God. Now, if that doesn't help you to understand this in context, you also need to understand the letter as a whole. Like many people, when they, when they kind of misappropriate or use or manipulate or ignore this text, they pull it out of its original context, both its literary context and its historical context. Remember, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, the literary context, that the overall structure of the letter is, but once you were, but now you are. Once you were dead, but now you are alive. Once you were lost, but now you were found. Once, once you were far away, but now you have been brought near. Once, once you, were, you were strangers, and, and now you're family. And in fact, I wrote down some of the things that just are in this true for this passage here. I wrote down some things here where it says, no rejection, no division, no hostility, no death, no immaturity, no worthless thoughts, no angry behavior, no deception, no bitterness, no laziness, no greed, no theft, no unwholesome talk, no alcohol abuse, and no sexual immorality. Instead, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are thankful, you are alive, you are called, you are wise, you are known, you are raised up, you are reconciled, you are together, you are rooted, you are filled, you were humbled you were ignited you were gentle patient kind truthful compassionate and forgiven that is my friends the literary context in which these commands come and so yes we don't like to submit regardless of who we are but there are times when we are called to lay aside ourselves and out of a reverence for Christ to put the other person's needs before your own and that takes on the form of surrender and love. It takes on the form of obedience. The other thing you need to make sure that you don't miss here is the historical context for this letter. Because remember, this is written over 2,000 years ago. And this letter, written so many years ago, comes to us not as if it was written in the newspaper last week. It comes to us in the form of other letters in its day. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you with this slide. When you look at other Roman manuscripts from this time, they would have similar instructions for households and they would address only husbands, fathers, and masters. And yet what Paul does here is he talks not only to the husbands, he talks to the wives, not only to the parents, but to the children, and not only the masters, to the slaves. All right, so here is what is so amazing about that. The reason that the other manuscripts of Roman times don't address those three groups of wives and children and slaves, it's very simple. It's because they were considered property in the eyes of the state but they were not property in the eyes of God. So don't miss the revolutionary nature of what Paul does in this passage. This was an absolutely shocking thing. If they would have heard it, they would not have heard it like we do. Oh, that's so paternalistic and condescending and backwards. No, they would have heard this and said, are you kidding? You mean there's no favoritism in God? Meaning that we're all in this together? and that wives and children and slaves in that day and age were all in reference to God? And don't miss this. The slavery of what is referred to in the New Testament is nothing like the slavery of the terrible periods of American history. It was not tied to a particular ethnicity and it was never a forever moment. In fact, in the Jewish world, anybody who didn't own property was considered a slave. So in other words, you either owned property and you were free, or you didn't own property and you had to work for somebody. And remember in the Jewish tradition, every seven years there was the year of Jubilee where slaves were freed. It's not excusing, but the idea of slavery and freedom, Paul and other New Testament writers and Jesus himself will deal with the idea of liberation and freedom and where that comes from. Paul's giving some very specific instructions. And here's what he's saying, regardless of your situation that you may or may not be able to change, you can do what you do in reference to God and not to people. Clearly, I don't believe an appropriate application of this text is that Paul is advocating for what we tend to think of when we think of slavery. There's no faithful way to read not just this passage, but the overall New Testament and draw that conclusion. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. However, Paul himself referred to himself over and over again as a slave to Christ, as a servant to God. And you and I, all of us, need to understand that we find our identity and our worth in reference to Christ and not into who do I work for, or who are my relatives. Our identity, our worth, our work, are first and foremost behind him and him alone. And regardless of your circumstances, you can be faithful and serve him in whatever situation you find yourself. And so if I had to summarize it, I would summarize it like this. I would say instructions for Christian households has three different examples, three different commands, three different components of loving submission, obedient training, and wholehearted service. And in my humble opinion, all three of these things apply to you and to me, regardless of who you are that we're all called to find ways to submit, to be obedient and to find ways to be able to serve with our whole hearts and not hold back. The very first part of Ephesians chapter five that introduces this chapter and the theme for the rest of the book started out like this. Ephesians chapter five said, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children This is your true identity here. And then as his children, we walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a true story of four people who went fishing in Alaska and The way that they went fishing is that they rented one of those small planes that have the two pontoons. It was smaller than this plane here because it only could hold four of them. There were two guys and a father and son, and they found one of those bays that they could land in along the Alaskan coastline, and they anchored their plane, and then they kind of, uh, they swam their short distance to shore and began to fish, and Then as they fished, they realized something that they that they didn't account for when they came back from fishing. And that was that they discovered that the plane that they had anchored in shallow waters had come back and was now actually on the shore and was up on the rocks that you could have up to like 25 feet swells in, you know, kind of in the tides And so they knew that they were going to have to kind of wait it out. And so they all got into the plane and they waited in the plane and slept in the plane. And sure enough, when they woke up the next morning, they discovered that the plane was back out into the water. And so they pulled up, you know, the anchor and they started up the motor and they began to try to take off in order to fly. Well, what they didn't notice overnight was when the plane had one of the pontoons had gotten onto the shore and to the rocks that. It had cut into the pontoon and that the pontoon had taken on significant amounts of water. And because of that, the plane couldn't take off and could only go in a circle and actually crashed back into the water. They looked desperately for life jackets and for other flotation devices and discovered that for whatever reason, they were not there. They were a significant distance from shore, but they could see it. And the water was frigid. The two men who were fishing immediately began to swim to shore and it was difficult work, but they were able to make progress and eventually made it. The father was the best swimmer of them all, but with his young son and with the currents being what they were, there was no way for his son to be able to swim and to be able to make it to the shore. Instead of swimming to the shore to save himself, the father wrapped his arms around his son and held him as they were swept out to sea and never seen again. If a human father can love a son that much, how much more does your heavenly father love you as his beloved child? And when you understand the gospel of the sacrifice that was paid for you to be wrapped up in the father's arms, It's within that embrace of love that now you can understand. You can understand how we really do need to be subject to one another and that there is no favoritism in him. And that yes, things like respect and submission and emptying yourself out and training and obedience and wholehearted service is a part of our households and our lives. I really and firmly believe that this is a beautiful passage. And that I know that I need to take it to heart. And I hope that you will as well. Let's pray together. Our loving God and Father, we thank you for the nature of your great love, a love that reminds us of the great sacrifice that is available in the good news of your Son and our Savior Jesus. Lord, we don't like to surrender. We want our will to be reigning supreme. We want to be the ones in control. Will you help us to be subject to one another out of relationship, out of respect, out of reverence for you. Help us to recalibrate all the aspects of our lives to you, to know that everything breaks towards you and in you. Forgive us, O God, for reducing people to things for being susceptible not only to the pandemic of COVID-19, but also to the pandemic of nothing but disease. For the ways that we reduce people to objects instead of seeing them in the way that you have made them to be. Help us to remember the bravery of a parent who said, your child is not a little accessory to your perfect life, but that that child is a gift and help us to see, oh God, the rest of our lives with that light help us to see our spouses, our children, our coworkers, the people we work with and for. Help us to see one another as opportunities to serve you. Lord, may our lives be a race to the back of the line. And that regardless of who we are, that we would follow your example and walk in the way of love, of submission, obedience, and service to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name.